This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, my name is Dan Callahan, and I'm the uh, managing partner of Callahan and Blaine in Santa Ana, California, and we're a litigation firm. We have 28 attorneys. All we do is litigation, business litigation for the first 20 years. Then after that, we branched into personal injury and insurance bad faith. We have some of the largest verdicts in Orange County history. We have the largest in business litigation, insurance bad faith, employment, and one, oh, personal injury. <laughs> I have formed a company called Callahan Consulting. And what we do, we provide services in two ways. One, I provide mentoring to attorneys on trial practice and trial strategy. And for clients, if a client needs to have a particular attorney in a given location with a certain specialty, I can search through various sources find an attorney that I think would be good for them. I usually find two or three. I interview them first to make sure that they can handle it, that whoever's, whatever they're bragging about on their website is really true, you know, and that person may be involved in the case. Once we do that, then I introduce them to the client, the client and I interview the lawyer and the client makes a decision. Oh, that's so cool. I, I totally want to dig into both of those parts in a minute. But first of all, thank you for being here, Dan. This is going to be a unique and I think it's kind of a special episode. To start out, the title for the show today is A Case Study in Marketing Mastery. So I feel like that's very glossy or kind of fancy sounding. But what we're going to do here and we're gonna start talking to more and more successful firm owners, firm partners, and really dig into these, this idea of a case study. So case studies really talk about how that company, that firm, you know, whatever it is we're talking to, how they got there, what mistakes they made. These are the kinds of things we did in business school that I found awesome. Like th this was the most interesting thing was to read these case studies, to see we did a case study on Kinkos, how they got there, all these mistakes they made along the way. And this is how you figure out what to do next. You kind of take it from the masters. So Dan, you are our first episode in this, this idea of case studies. And so we're going to talk a lot about kind of where you started, things you did along the way, some you know mistakes that you may have made, things like that. So first, let's talk about, I mean, you, you, in your intro, you talked about how you've got this awesome firm. You've got, did you say 28 attorneys? Yeah. Right. So you didn't start with 28 attorneys, right? <laughs> was was it not. just you or was it the, the two of you? Well, initially... Straight out of law school, I was recruited to go to the largest, oldest and largest firm in the state of Hawaii. Oh, wow. So I was, a, I was a junior associate there. And all I knew at that time is I just had to buckle down and learn as much as I can. Because I didn't know really how to be a lawyer. And after two years, I took up scuba diving and I got married. But I decided to move back to California. We moved to Newport Beach. And I worked for a big firm there for another two years. And then opened up my own office on St. Patrick's Day, 1984. Oh my gosh. Okay. A couple years ago. So a couple years first ago. of all, 1984 is 
in marketing the marketing world and where we're at now it is a different world from where we are now so i am really interested to start with what did you do then that and then the sub question to that is are there any of those things that you did back in 1984 that you're still doing yes okay awesome so the number one thing that a lawyer should do under they should understand that their light should be on 24 seven. They don't just work and then go home, put their feet up on, you know, on the table and you know, eat bonbons or whatever. You know, you, you've gotta be networking at all times. So whenever I went somewhere, my light was on. I was recruiting, you know, I was telling people stories about things that I've done. And the person who's listening would say, in their mind, I wish I was that guy. I wish I was the client. Right. So I would get a lot of clients. So understand, I just told you two years in Hawaii, didn't really develop any clients. Two years in Newport Beach, I developed a lot. So many that I thought it was wise for me to go out on my own. And that's what I did. So networking is very important. You know, I would go to seminars and I'd meet somebody back by coffee. I'd give them my card, talk to them, follow up, always follow up. I had written down kind of a subtopic to talk about offline marketing because I feel like it's so underrated. And and this is kind of where you where you're alluding to is this idea that I think right now where we're at, especially all this talk about AI and you know, all this when when most attorneys and law firms talk about marketing, they only think online marketing. And they think that is the entire world of all of their marketing efforts. And they're missing so much. So tell me a little bit about like what, how much time and effort, and as compared to when you started, do you put into the offline traditional marketing like you're talking about, like networking, seminars, all of that stuff? Quite a bit. Yeah. That's what I grew up on. So naturally, I still do yeah. it. So I market uh, by, by networking, but also the way I really got started, the Orange County Business Journal came out and I got a hold of them and I wrote an article called It's the Law. And it came out once a week, It's the Law. Oh, nice. And all I had to do was look at the new cases that came down and then see what might be good that I can do a, an article. I don't remember how many words, 1,200, 1,500 and every week, but there's my name. It's the law by Daniel Callahan, right? So my name is getting, people are reading it. They're getting used to it, they're hearing it. And then I would put on seminars. And now to put on seminars, I go to the Orange County Bar Association and say, I've got a great idea for a seminar. And we'd get like the top lawyers in California to come and understand that was not hard. These lawyers want to speak. You call them up, say, hey, there's an opportunity for you to speak. They say, I'm there. Yeah, I've often said, I'll have a client send me an email and they're like, I have a five minute call. I just have a quick question. I'm like, in my life, I have never had a five minute call with any lawyer ever. <laughs> that is totally true. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would do, I'd put together a seminar. So let's say I did one every year for the Orange County Bar Association. I did one for Stanford up north. I did one for USC. And it'd be like a two day or day and a half seminar. So you have three, three attorneys, a judge for lunch, three attorneys next day, three attorneys, a judge for lunch, and we're done. Uh, but guess what? These guys all knew what they were doing. But who put, I put myself on a panel. And so your if, name was being like right parallel with those guys. Yeah, so yeah. if you're in the audience, 
These guys must know what they're talking about. Oh, I'm one of those guys. Therefore, inherently, I must know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the guilty by association. I'm going to just insert here. I'm going to just add my MBA marketing language to describe what you're talking about. So using the Orange County Business Journal, using the Orange County Bar Association, writing those articles, what you are doing is borrowing their audience. Instead of having to build your own audience and create your own email list, well, maybe back in the day there, there wasn't an email list, but create your own marketing list and then start from scratch and do cold calling or whatever you know other people were doing, you are going to establish places that, first of all, already had an established reputation with their brand and their logo, and they had a group of people who were already listening to them. And so you were just stepping in to this existing audience and borrowing it. And this is genius because you're not starting at day one with cold calling. You're starting with their years of building that, that list. So number one, that is a, a brilliant marketing tactic to start in and, and you know, to, to kind of pat myself on the back. This is a similar tactic that I did back in 09 when I started. I wrote for Lawyerist and Lawyerist at the time was a guest contributor blog huge, hugely popular for solo and small firms. And I was writing about marketing articles. And that was, you know, I didn't that they had already had, again, an established audience, they were out there promoting it. And so I was just kind of riding on those coattails. So I just wanted to reinforce that idea and then bring sort of the marketing strategy and philosophy of what you were describing and how that's a really great marketing tactic. Well, thank you. I never thought yeah. of it that way. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to help there. <laughs> thanks. I also write articles independently for different journals or associations. So if I wanted to get clients in construction, I'd find out what organization to be construction companies join. And then I, then I would write articles about construction topics. But this is, again, why you go and you find, this was what one of my marketing professors said, you find where your audience is already listening. So what you were doing is, find, you know, you were kind of establishing your own reputation by using the Orange County Business Journal or using the Orange County Bar Association. And then to go find those clients, you're finding those areas where they're already listening. So this is why people care about getting PR and getting that article written on Forbes or Inc or whatever, if that's where their clients are, it is an immediate reputation booster to have that, that logo next to your name. Right. I couldn't agree more. So I was uh, writing articles all the time for the, or, for the Orange County Business Journal or for different publications. I was doing seminars. And let me tell you where that led me. So I hit farmers for $58 million and a judgment. So then I was doing a seminar on insurance bad faith. Well, now I've got some credibility because I just hit farmers. Right. And you can do like, I've got this case result. Today, the way we would do that is on the website. You know, you'd obviously have some news section, you would have a post about it, you would maybe feature it on the, the homepage. How did you do it back in the day? How did you promote your successful case wins? I did press releases. Perfect, we're still doing that. <laughs> yeah. So whenever I have a big win, boom, a press release goes out, it goes everywhere. You know, people pick it up. Right, okay. So one case I can tell you about, remember the insurance bad faith, I got contacted by 
a lawyer who had, or pardon me, a lawyer for a client, who had another trial lawyer had just failed to win, he got a mistrial. He brought me in with 17, 17 days notice. So I just worked really hard and we, I, we won that trial, got a unanimous verdict. But the funny thing is I then, years, years later, I hit represented back in culture and I hit for $934 million. So I called up the lawyer who referred me in. I said, I guess I can tell you now. That was my first jury trial. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, your opening and your jury selection was outstanding. Wow. But you didn't know the evidence code for shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'd learn. But. Yeah. Well, you know, if you had started with your first case where it's perfect, that would be kind of surprising. Yeah, <laughs> right? well, yeah. You have to start somewhere. Right. right. Okay. So let's dig into sort of the progression of your firm. You started, you said you started, it was just you, and then you eventually added a partner, added more attorneys. So talk about how you adjusted with the internet. I mean, I know we talked about we're going we're gonna to focus on offline marketing, but of course the online and the internet and all of that stuff makes such a big, it is a big part of anyone's marketing plan. So how did you first approach your internet marketing? Well, first of all, you have to have a web page. Yes. Right? So you get a web page and you, you put all your good stuff in there. You describe your firm, all your attorneys, partners, and associates, all your big wins, things that will attract clients so they can go ahead and want to retain you. But that's, that's just one part of marketing. You've got to go off into social media. I don't claim to be the smartest guy in social media, so I have people that do that for me. Yes, I think that's really, really important because you could spend all day doing that. And I have some clients who really find that exciting. So they spend a lot of time and I'm thinking, what's your hourly rate? And you're spending how much time on Twitter? Like what, what's, what's the point here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we actually have a couple of people that handle that aspect for me. For Callahan Blaine, one of my partners was the guy who had interview others to see who we can best hire to advance our causes. Right? My business was just trying the cases. I did not get that involved in the marketing aspect of it, other than the basic way of meeting people, networking, following up, lunches, etc. Yeah, putting your name out in the traditional ways. So tell me if, let me know, was there a difference in the way you presented the firm back in the beginning of the internet versus now. And it's kind of a leading question because I've been doing this long enough and you know, doing websites where in the beginning of websites, it, I would have firms send me a printed out paper brochure and say basically make a website that is this. And that is not what websites are at all anymore. So I'm curious if, if that was sort of the progression for you, you and your firms or- well, I forgot that yeah. step. We did have printed out brochures, colored glossy brochures, open it up like four pages. And, yeah, and thick paper, they, very they, nice. Exactly, look really yeah. nice. You yeah. can have them out in the conference room or at the, at the lobby and you can give them to whoever wants to accept it. Yeah, and they're worth like $6 each. <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. And then, uh, but after that, you're right. You have your website, you want to direct attention to your website. Then you get into the marketing and once again, that is not something that I personally did. I, I gave people my card that had the website on it. I told them to look it up. I'm doing much more of that now, though. I've, so let me point out what I'm doing now for Callahan Consulting. 
Yeah, that would be great. That's a good transition. I believe in a sense of humor. I believe in educating and also entertaining. So if you go to callahanconsulting.com, you'll see a few videos I've done. I have one, Magnum PI, <laughs> right? Where I'm, yeah. I'm in my, my car, I've got a McLaren, and coasting along like this, going down the highway, where I'm just, it's, it's kind of corny. It lasts for about a minute. And I got another one, which is Mission Impossible. And that's about two minutes. And what follows this is an educational thing, about five or six minutes on a particular topic of law. There must be about 18 of them right now. And most recently I've done Rocky. So what's the purpose of the humor? Why are you bringing in the humor and um, the movies and all of that, that kind of element? What's the purpose of that? To be, not to be stuffy, not to be one more lawyer. Let me tell you what the law is going to be. Yeah. Sitting in front of some law books. Yeah. I won't even change my inflection. I'll just talk to you just like this until you definitely go to sleep. And when you're done, just turn me off. So, so I have it. It's exciting. It's fun. You know, and it's novel. It's not stuffy. Nobody else is doing it. So you should try to find a way to distinguish yourself from others. You can be a talking head and just let it go with that. But I don't think many people are going to say, look at this. Send that to my friends. Yes, I think that's another significant difference in way back at the beginning of the internet with websites. Everybody was just kind of trying to look like a law firm. And so they all had navy blue and they all had all their pictures were in front of law books. And it's like, okay, this is, you know, I guess this is how we look. And so everybody just kind of stepped in line because for most lawyers, that's the safe answer is the best answer. But I think what you're describing, I know what you're describing is it, it really is a marketing tactic to figure out how to be different and stand out because at the end of the day, the goal with marketing is to be memorable. And if you are looking exactly like the other guys, how, how am I going to remember you versus them? Right. That Mission Impossible one starts out with me on top of a train. <laughs> right? and how did you get that shot? <laughs> well, you know, how these people do it nowadays, I don't know. I'll tell you this. I was not standing on top of the train. <laughs> So there's the green screen. There's another one where I come down from the ceiling like this, and you know, looking for jewels and whatnot. Nice. I love it. It's like it's a good story too, and that's another thing a lot of marketers talk about is making sure you have good stories in your marketing that connects to people, and like that is something that just embeds in people's memories as well. So also on each of these, I find a way to highlight my accomplishments. So it may say Mission Impossible, Impossible Mission Number One achieve the highest jury verdict in Orange County history. Nice. Right? And yeah. another one, second mission is this, and third and fourth. So you wind up highlighting four or five huge litigation victories. Right. right, so it's not just all fun and games. It's also supporting your firm and talking about how successful you are and kind of bringing in some kind of facts into the Yeah, into so the all video. three of them bring in those same victories. Nice. Or other things such as awards or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so Dan, tell me about, if, do you have any examples of mistakes that you made in marketing over all the years? Or things that you kind of wish you had done different or you learned the hard way, like, oh, that wasn't, that didn't work? Yeah, I, I would say it was a bit of a waste of money to get all those color brochures. I have like so many of them. How do I get rid of them? You know, they're hard to get rid of. 
Yeah. And you usually, like with printers, before this life, I did real estate marketing, and you have to buy in set numbers. You can't just buy like 34. You have to buy at least 100 or 500 or 1,000. So you've got boxes of this stuff. And I know, you know, if it's similar to real estate agents. They would have boxes of brochures and letterhead, and they'd have a whole closet full of that stuff. Right. So you have to, another thing you have to do is distinguish yourself and you have to know what you stand for. So this is back to I discussed with you briefly about the meaning of life by Victor Frankl, right? Yeah, we're going to get into that in, in one minute. Let's just finish real quick. Sorry to kind of jump in. But so mistake wise, printing a bunch of stuff, having kind of brochures like you don't feel like that ever really led to any kind of successful case. No, it probably <laughs> lead to less success now. Everything, yeah. is, everything is the internet nowadays, and you have to have something that distinguishes you from others. What about, you know, other kinds of tactics, like, or lack of strategy or things like that? Any kind of other avenues that you looked back, that you implemented at some point that really worked, that you kind of wish you had done sooner? Well, there is a way to speak to people. They call it the, what is it, an elevator pitch? You know, you have to be able to know when you have somebody's attention for five seconds, you have to be able to tell them what you do and how you do it in the length of time to get from the ground floor to the 10th floor in an elevator. Because people don't really have that much interest in what you have to say when you're pitching yourself. So you have to do it in a way that says what you do in an intriguing way so that they actually want to know more about it. And then they follow up with questions for you. So you may be at a cocktail party, you may be somewhere else, but in that kind of a setting, you may be teeing off at the first hole at a golf course. Oh, so what do you do? Boom, here you are. Yes, yeah. And honestly, I feel like things like an elevator pitch that are short and concise, they're also underrated because they're short and concise. And so people think, oh, it's just a quick thing. But oftentimes the the little, what we call micro messages, those crafting those is a lot more work than being really lengthy. So, you know, finding a great elevator pitch and crafting it in a way that does all the things you just described is sometimes a lot of work. So we, I had an advisor who told me how to do this and there'd be the elevator pitch, right? So that's like five, seven seconds, something maybe like that, 10. You have another one that's a 30 second version, right? And then after that, after that, the doors open and you can go on and elaborate about the various wins you have. But you have to, you don't want to bore them from the get. Oh, you know what I also hear people do? It's a mistake. Say, what do you do? Oh, I'm an attorney. <laughs> that really, really? Yeah. Thank you. So that distinguishes you in no way, shape, or form. Right, exactly. <laughs> people yeah. do that. And you know... I I hear it all the time. <laughs> a lot of attorneys are afraid to market. They think, wait a minute, I'm a lawyer. I've paid for my genius to you know, get a case and go into court, etc. No. I mean, you, being a lawyer, you have to bring the cases in. To bring the cases in, you have to market. Now, a lot of lawyers don't market and they don't bring cases in and they may become a very successful associate in someone else's law firm. Yes. If that's yes. your goal, okay, you can reach it that way. But really everybody knows 
that you have to bring in cases if you want to really move up the ladder in a law firm. Right. So and in, in income as well. Yeah. So yes, you've got a market. There's no, it's, marketing is not a sin. Right. I, and I often say there's a price for that comfort. You know, a lot of people want to stay in that sort of corporate environment. They talk about benefits, you know, it's like, who cares? Benefits. Let's put a price on your benefits. Let's break it down. Let's let's talk about how much are your benefits worth every year? Let's break it down so that you can figure out, OK, I need to make that number more each year to cover that. Now we're done and I don't need to sit in this like, you know, fear of all of that just for the benefits. So, but there will be a cost for that fear and, you know, feeling like you're in that comfortable place, which let's just be honest too. Like it, this economy is all over the place. It's not necessarily a comfortable place. Like any day someone has control over whether you have that job or not. Whereas if you have your own firm, you, you have control over it. If that, if th that firm decides that, you know, your, your history, you, that's, that's it. Like that's your, that's their decision. So Dan, it is time for the book review. We're going to talk about this in this section. We talk about literature and the latest and greatest books. And so what is the recommendation? I know you have a good one. We kind of hinted at it earlier. So what is the book recommendation that you have to inspire people to go and get today? I'll tell you the name of the book briefly about it. And then I'll tell you what impact it's had on me. Yes, I love that. All right. So it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he, in World War II, he and his family were put in concentration camps. His brother, his wife, his parents were killed, but he survived. And the key to his survival is to find a purpose in life. So that, because if you have a, if everybody else is getting depressed and dying, and you can see in a concentration camp how that can happen. But if you can try to find the purpose, and now, now I'll switch it on to how it's impacted me. I had a case where my client was Beckman Coulter against Flextronics, and their purpose was do the right thing. That's great. That really sold to a jury. You know, it was a three-month jury trial. We got a unanimous verdict for $934 million. My purpose is to work hard and do my very, very best for my clients. And if you just think you want to do your best for someone else and you're always willing to work your hardest, then success just comes to you. If you think you just want to make money and you're aiming at that, you're not going to make, well, you might make some money, but it won't be a long-term profession. Right. And it just kind of goes, you end up going off in the wrong direction, taking the wrong clients, doing the wrong things, making the wrong decisions, because you don't have that core structured thought about what you're, what you're there for and why you're making those decisions. I think people are attracted to others that are successful and always try to do the right thing and always try to do their best. Uh, life is not a, this is not a dress rehearsal. So I believe you got to do your best at all times. Now I'm going to take this interview to a real weird place in a second. Oh good. I love weird places. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I presently live in Puerto Rico and I still work with Calhoun and Blaine, but so I don't really know anybody here. I moved here, and so I went to the gym, started working out. I never used to lift weights, you know, barbells. And it turns out, in one year's time, I've established a, rec a reputation, reputation for myself in the community as being a weightlifter. 
the Anchorian is going to take you to a different place. <laughs> okay. All so right. So the world record for my age and weight is 308 pounds. Okay. I do 375. Oh my gosh. I know. So the so world record is not 308 pounds. Well, I have to compete in the national event, so okay. I, mean, I didn't know it this, has to be an official. I didn't know it was a record. You know, I just found out, so I go, oh, shit, I gotta compete. However, the word throughout the community about me is just spreading. Nice. And I met somebody at Sunday, and I uh, said, oh, yes, I, you live in that house? I heard there's a guy who runs marathons that lives there, or he's this and that. So I said, oh, no, he's a weightlifter. I said, well, wait, that's me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then uh, my wife goes to uh, yoga, and the girl says, oh, has your husband gone to compete yet? So it's, everybody knows me as that weightlifter guy. Yeah. But what's kind of cool about that is after they get to know me, they have a certain respect because if you've achieved something others haven't, they want to know how you did it, what's your motivation, and they get me talking about myself, but also about my law firm and what we can do for others. So oh, I love how full circle that comes. Like it, it, all of those things where you get out there and do different things and get the attention of people by whatever it might be. Whatever your whether, niche is, you know, yeah. find a niche. Weightlifting, <laughs> whatever it is. Find a yeah. niche, you know, exactly. and succeed in it. And then people are attracted to those that succeed. So I'm also a golfer, but people are not attracted to my golf game. <laughs> That's a little more complicated. So what other kinds of, I wanted to spend a minute talking about your consulting work with other attorneys. I feel like that's really aligned with everything that we're doing on this podcast, kind of giving advice and, and consultation about how to best run your law firm. So what are, what's one of the first things that you talk to these attorneys about, specifically with kind of a marketing angle? Well, to be creative, right? So what I can have. That's I can, so hard for so many attorneys. I know. You got to think Just outside the box. You got to yeah. think outside the box. And I'll give them examples, you know. I'll give you one. So early in my career, one of my clients lived in Arizona. He shipped product to a job site. He wanted to get a mechanic lien, but in California, you have to serve something called a 20-day notice upon the owner so he knows to make sure he holds the money back for the material man. So I said, did you do a 20-day notice? No, I didn't. Well, when did you send it? Well, long ago. Where is it? Can you go get in your truck and drive around the block? No, it's locked in a warehouse. But he, I remember during the interview, he said that he sold this product to a subcontractor on credit while that subcontractor could not pay his bills promptly as due, which technically means he was insolvent. Then I remembered under the UCC that if you sell goods to someone while they're insolvent, you can reclaim possession by just sending a letter out. You've got constructive possession. So I sent a letter out. I got constructive possession. I then released possession and served a 20-day notice. Well, the owner of the company said, that is crazy. So he paid the contractor. We went to court. Then he had to pay us as well. Because I grafted the UCC onto the mechanical lien statute. There's a hundreds of these examples. You don't have the time. But I bring creativity in. So anybody can read the CCP and figure out if, how to go lockstep through the CCP. You really have to know that, but then you have to figure out how you can go outside the box. 
And this is what your clients are looking for. And to be honest, this is what we're mostly looking for in any kind of service provider. This is for sure what my clients are looking for. I just recently started working with a new tax person. I am definitely looking for them to be a little creative. Let's, you know, look in different places for benefits that I might not be thinking of. I'm counting on you to look at my stuff and be some take some creativity, obviously within the law. <laughs> you know, like let's not be sure. dumb. I don't want to go to jail. Right. Like be creative, not dumb. But, you know, anytime you're hiring any kind of a person, especially a lawyer, which is probably a major life event, you want them to use all parts of their brain in a logical and, you know, appropriate way. But if they're just following kind of a rote example of what everybody else is doing, that's that's just not really great work. No, that's you don't want that. If you want to stand out, remember, you have to distinguish yourself from others at all times. You do that by doing your best at all times. The way you do your best at all times is to prepare. And once you prepare and you do not put something off, you don't say, ah, I can do that Tuesday, because you don't know what's coming between now and Tuesday that will take up your time. So if you have time, you do it now, you don't delay, and then you do your best. When you do that, now you've done everything. You have time to actually think about other creative things you might be able to do. Exactly. Anytime I have this tendency to kind of set something aside and then I don't and I actually address it at the moment, I'm, I tell myself, I am doing my future self a favor right now. I'm going to get this done and my future self is going to look at that and, th and thank me. So I have these conversations with myself all the time. So all right, so Dan, tell me what is one big takeaway that you'd like people to get over? I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff in this episode, but what's a big takeaway that you'd like people to get from this episode? My situation is all based upon preparation and strategy and creativity. That's what has made me successful. Also, you always try to do as much as you can. If, there's, if I think about it, I'll do it. And so if there's something, if I'm preparing for a trial, I make notes and whatnot. And if I have some good thought, it's happening, you know? So I, I try to do my very, very best at everything, even weightlifting. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that story. Dan Callahan is, thank you so much for being here. You're the founding partner at Callahan and Blaine. Now also Callahan Consulting in Puerto Rico, but Thank you so much for all these wisdom, nuggets of wisdom, and all the, these ideas about how you did it, how things have changed, you know, what, what has kind of got you to that level, because um, I, I feel like that intro in the beginning was so uh, important for people to recognize, okay, you're at this level, but that didn't, that's not where you started. <laughs> Obviously, there's so much to learn from how you got to that level. So thanks again for being here. That was such a great episode. Karen, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.